And we're live. Mark, how are you doing today? Welcome. David, glad to be on, man. Good to Do see you. Do you realize how many times you've been on my YouTube channel now? Well, uh, you know, I'm going to have to start paying rent, I think. Well, I, I think the tradition is, is that after so many times you get a jacket. But okay, that's a Saturday Night Live tradition. If it's We're a beautiful blue, we're going to do that here. I'll, I'll take the blue one, like you've got there. It looks beautiful. If you're, if you're, uh, I'll whatever the market price is, I'm ready to pay. <laughs> All right, we got people filing in. Let me roll the introduction, and we'll get underway. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome. So just as we were joking around before, Mark, this is actually your fourth appearance on the main YouTube channel. You came and spoke to the Business Buyer Adventure Group Coaching Program once. We had a, a special talk over there about, uh, I think it was engaging employees and, and the different ways that um, some of the bank on yourself methods can be used to, to you know, create employment environments that would be attractive to people. And today, uh, we've got some big news. We're going to be talking about what's in the news as as this unfolds. Of course, it was in the in the 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 cover of the show. We're going to be talking about inflation, but uh, the big news that I'd like to share with the audience is that um, you're Mark. You're coming on as a channel sponsor, and uh, I'm really happy to be able to say that because I'll tell you. I get approached by a lot of different outfits who want to sponsor the videos or sponsor the channel. And I always have to say, you know, what is this really? What are they trying to do? Thank goodness there's no video footage of out, out, out there of me promoting some certain crypto exchanges, you know, that I know some other people on YouTube are dealing with the follow to that right now. Um, but this is a little bit different because uh, what you do with your clients is something that I've personally done myself. And I've had other clients that I've worked with uh, in the world of buying and selling businesses who have these policies that we talk about whenever you come on the show. And not only do they have them, but one of the most common things that I run into is people who have them and then do it again and then do it again. Mm -hmm. And so they, they yep. keep repeating, right? And so, you know, what you do, I have confidence in, and, that, and that's the reason why, uh, you know, I've opened the door for you to becoming a sponsor here. And so I want to welcome you to that. And let, let's quickly, in a nutshell, recap what a bank on yourself program is. Well, you're exactly right uh, regarding the ability to give only good news. It was something I wanted to do when I first got into the financial world. Uh, as I got into the business, I worked for a CPA in the midst of the 2008, nine and beyond uh, meltdown. And I listened to some of her calls that she would have to make to clients which um, she was a great CPA, well-renowned, nationally recognized. Uh, but her phone calls were something like this. I'm sorry, Mr. Client, you're 63 years old, but I just lost you a third of your life savings or half of your life savings because the market is out of our control. And I hated the idea of having that phone call ever with my clients or heck with my own spouse. You know, I never wanted to say yeah. that to my, to my spouse or have my own money vaporized like that. So discussing bank on yourself is a breath of fresh air. 
because every single one of our clients at our firm, Lake Growth Financial, uh, have seen all-time record highs this year in their policy values. And that's contractually guaranteed. Yeah. So you asked, what is bank on yourself? I'll do it. I'll see if I can do this in 90 seconds or less. Okay. It's a dividend-paying, participating, whole life insurance policy. It's built on that chassis. It's built, however, with cutting the commissions and the expenses of the insurance and flooding the policy with equity or cash that you can use for any reason. It can be for personal reasons, business reasons, or a mix of both of those. You can access the money with no penalties, no hoops to jump through. And if it's designed correctly, no taxes due. Uh, and that's money that's liquid and accessible to you. And if uh, if you can see how this might play out, it could be used both for your needs today, your cars, your investments, your vacations, your kids' college funds. But it's also a stream of income you can take in the future as well. Yeah. And there's very little government restrictions, but it's been legal for hundreds of years in this country. And it's a wonder that more people don't know about it, especially this year when inflation is soaring. So a lot of people get hung up on the fact that this has to do with life insurance. And the, and the thing that is key here is that the insurance policy is just the vehicle that this, this program is being built within because of the tax and legal structures that have been created with insurance in mind, you know? And so this is one of the few places where money can accumulate and grow tax-free. And that's one of the key functions here, right? Is that the, the growth can occur without taxation and that's what allows it to consistently grow over time. Mm -hmm. And because it's built within the framework of a contract, there is a, a minimum guaranteed change in the value every year that the insurance company guarantees, but it's often more lucrative. It's almost always more lucrative, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, there's a uh, dividend that's applied on top of the guarantee if the insurance company is profitable. And I like to work with companies that are um, paying dividends. Not all insurance companies offer that. Uh, and, you know, many people might have an old dusty whole life policy in their in their drawer uh, or in their filing cabinet, but it might or might not be a participating whole life insurance mm -hmm. policy. Uh, I was just speaking with someone today who has a whole life policy from when they were a kid, but it's barely nudged up in value over these many decades. And that's because there were never any dividends applied to that policy. Right. So there are sort of in, in principle, there are two kinds of life insurance companies. There are publicly traded on any, you know, like New York Stock Exchange, whatever. Uh, and there are mutually owned life insurance companies. And when they are publicly traded, the profits of the company, and these companies are incredibly profitable. They run a very profitable business in the insurance space. We're, we're talking trillions flood through our economy every year in, from the insurance industry. Uh, but if it's publicly traded, guess what? The profits of that company mm -hmm. go to the shareholders, strangers. Right. I don't want strangers on my life. So that's why mutually owned companies pay dividends to the owners of the company, owners of the company, which are the policyholders themselves. And so in that sense, it's kind of like a cooperative in, in a lot of ways. That's yeah. a great analogy, actually. Yes. If uh, folks are familiar with how co-ops work or uh, syndications of sort, certain sorts work, uh, if you're a partner in a business or a law firm, you know, you get this concept where the profits get distributed to the owners. So if you want to find all of our previous conversations and they go back several years, the first time you came on the show was 
oh, I don't know, 2018 maybe. Uh, and, and we had a series of conversations. I've got a link to a playlist of all the YouTube uh, shows that you've been on with me. It's over at newbankingsolution.com. There's also a one hour conversation that Mark and I uh, recorded specifically for that website, uh, which kind of is it's a, I call it a bank on yourself 101. It, it introduces the concept, lays out how these things work. And there's a form there that you can fill in if you want Mark to contact you and to actually look at what one of these plans might look like for you. And so um, let's hone in on one particular word that you mentioned there. You said participating. And so what does that participating word mean? Well, uh, to kind of keep it real simple today, uh, it's it means we are participating in the ownership and the profitability of the company that we have a policy with. So mm -hmm. let's use an example here. Let's say you and I decide to start a mortgage company together. And I want to be in partnership with you. So you and I draw up the paperwork and we begin to sell mortgages to the general public. Uh, anytime that company is profitable, you and I would split the profits. So far, mm -hmm. nothing fancy, right? It's just a now, business. Just yeah. a business. Just, yeah. just like anything else. Now, where things get a little more interesting is, what if I need a mortgage? Am I going to go to a ABC Bank down the street? No. I'm going to come to the bank of you know, David and Mark or whatever our business yeah. is called. And uh, once I've hopefully been approved for that mortgage, hopefully you approve me, uh, then I'm going to hopefully start making repayments to that mortgage. I assume you'd want me to repay the loan, right? Otherwise, we're not going to be in business very long. That's right. And, and our business is going to make money off your mortgage. That's right. But who ultimately benefits? And you already brought it up. Our business does. Now, who owns that business? You and I do. So as I make my mortgage payment back to the company that I co-own with you, where do those profits go? Well, back in your pocket and also my pocket. And so in many so ways, we can benefit from you know, the interest we might pay to a mortgage company that we own together. So when people set up one of these bank on yourself, whole life participating life insurance plans, they, they start putting money into it. The money that goes in is invested with everyone else that's buying these policies. And the life insurance company takes that money and they go and do investing activities with it. And the dividend that you spoke of, the, the money that flows back out to increase the value of your, your pool of capital, the, the, the cash value, it's coming from those activities. So, you know, investing is buying stocks, bonds, that kind of stuff. What other lines of business is the insurance company engaging in that creates those profits? Yeah, that's a common question a lot of people ask. Uh, some people say, well, Mark, what can possibly be guaranteed here if the insurance company is just investing in Tesla or FTX stock or whatever, and, you know, cryptocurrencies, whatever? Couldn't they just lose my money and I can do that just fine on my own, Mark? So why do I need life insurance to lose my money for me? Right. No, that's that's actually that's actually misunderstanding the entire premise. Um, when I have insurance, whether it's health insurance or car insurance or fire insurance or life insurance, the the definition of insurance is the transfer of risk from one party to another. And so in this case, we are transferring the risk of loss to an insurance company. Now, this means that the insurance company is taking what we call premium. That's how we get money into one of these policies. You know, when we put money into a bank account, we call that a deposit. When we put it into life insurance, we call that premium. It's nothing mm -hmm. 
um, different than that. But the premium is then going into a contract with an insurance company. And this insurance company is on the hook to pay my family a big death benefit if I died this afternoon. So they right. can't just, you know, throw this money into the ether or speculate on, you know, a, a, a high flying tech stock, let's say. There might be a small portion of their overall general account, uh, which might be a hundred billion dollars large. There might be a small, we're talking one to 10% or less in equities or stocks, but the vast majority of their portfolio is in held to maturity corporate investment grade corporate bonds and also mortgages, also some real estate properties, term insurance, Term insurance is like free money to the insurance company, David, because you know, 90, according to a recent study, 98% of term insurance has never paid a death benefit. You know, right. so That's like free money. And then policy loan interest uh, is another source of profits for that general pool. So I want you to imagine this giant pool of capital called the general account, maybe 50 to 70% are in fixed income assets that have no uh, exposure to the whims of inflation or higher interest rates. Why? Because they are not selling these bonds. They're not selling these mortgages. They're not looking for liquidity. Right. They're just needing that coupon payment, you know, coming at them every month. So, so this is this is getting into the 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 crux of, of what I wanted to bring up here today. But just just to to reiterate, so when somebody comes along and buys a 20-year term million dollar life insurance policy, they're paying a premium, maybe a hundred dollars every month. Chances are the person's not going to die. So that $100 every month, this is pure profit into that general fund. The difference between the whole life and these term uh, insurance policies is that the insurance company 100% knows that it's going to have to pay out on all the whole life policies. And so they are able to have this long-term planning horizon where they understand what has to happen. So so the, the when you become a participating policyholder, you get to profit from other people buying term policies. You get to profit from the coupons collected on the money that's just kind of sitting there in, in bonds or fixed income, a small portion of it maybe in some kind of equities. You mentioned real estate. Um, you know, I think some insurance companies even get into like things like infrastructure and, and other things that, that are income generating assets, right? And so what um, I wanted to, to talk about is the fact that since a large portion of that investment is in fixed income assets, bonds. You know, if I think back to my business school days, when interest rates go up, the value of a bond goes down, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we invest our money into a bond mutual fund and interest rates go up, then the value of that mutual fund is gonna go down. So what then happens over the insurance company? Oh yeah, great question. I, I want you to think about your smartphone for a minute to make this really simple for folks because I would always get confused. Why do bond values go down if interest rates go up? Let's bring it down to the, the you and me level with some smartphones. So let's say that the you've got a smartphone, you've got the, the iPhone 27 or whatever they're up to at this point. And then um, you get an announcement that they're coming out with the iPhone 28. The value of your iPhone 27 has now gone down because there's new and improved features and, and whatever. All right. So the that is kind of like your bond that you're holding in your hands is a lower interest rate bond than the new one today. You can go buy a new bond for a higher interest rate. Why would you want the old stodgy stuff of yesteryear? Now, wait a minute. What if, let's flip this around. You've got the iPhone 27, but the iPhone 28 comes out, but it's a brick. 
it doesn't work, can't make phone calls, you know, it's a brick. Yours, your old Stodgy 27 is now more valuable because the new one just isn't working for you as well as, as we'd hoped it would, right? So you've got a more valuable antique iPhone because it's one that actually still works. So now let's bring it to life insurance. In the world where we have a, um, a big, book of, big book of bonds and real estate and whatever else paying on a certain interest rate, uh, they are being re they're receiving that money, whether interest rates go down, up, or sideways. This has been one of those clear moments in one's financial planning career. As a, as a certified financial planner, we never thought we'd see the day where stocks are down and bonds are down. Yeah, But that's the world we're living in right now. And so the old bonds, the old bonds are, you know, at a lower interest rate than the new bonds. So does that matter for insurance companies? No. One, they are still providing the guarantee to the policyholders. So that is a guaranteed cash accumulation. That's sitting in cash because they have a portion of your death benefit ready to pay your family if you died this afternoon. They don't have that money invested. It's just literally sitting in a cash allocation. And that's how we're able to get a guaranteed increase every year because they're essentially saying, hey, Mark, you survived another year. Happy birthday. But now you're a little closer to the grave. <laughs> so we're going to give you a little more money to walk away, to surrender your policy. We'll give you a guaranteed increase of your cash. There's nothing to do with interest rates or bonds at all there. But what about the dividends? Back to participating whole life insurance. If the interest rates go up like they have this year, then the current bond portfolio uh, will slowly matriculate and mature. This just means that as the bonds run out, the five-year bond they bought five years ago is done now. Now the insurance company has this coupon. They've, they've gotten their coupons. Now they got their principal back and they've got their $10 million to go put to work with the higher interest rate bonds today. To say this in another maybe more simple way, the insurance company says, what me, what me worry when it comes to bond rates? They'll just go buy the higher bond yields when they, their old bond matures. So, so the the key to this is that if insurance, if interest rates are going up, yeah, the the resale value of a bond might in fact go down, but they don't do that. They're not trading them. They're just holding it and collecting the coupon until it matures. Then they get the full principal back, which and almost, they, hmm. and then they go buy something else. So, so if when somebody puts money in today, there are bonds in there today that might be fifteen years old that are getting whatever rate was comp was the the rate available 15 years ago. And so as the portfolio changes over, they just keep, you know, renewing at whatever the current rates are, yep. but they don't actually expose any of that to risk by trading the bonds, which is, which what is what happens if you're buying and selling into like a mutual fund that is you oh, know, holding man. bonds. A bond fund right now is, is getting destroyed through mm. what's known as reinvestment rate risk. Uh, and now that we have kind of this distinction, I want to say again, we cannot just open up the insurance, even if even if they made it publicly available, like what they're what they actually invested in, which usually insurance companies like to keep that proprietary for obvious reasons. It's a trade secret. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But if we could even see their full portfolio, one, I don't have a hundred billion dollars just yet to go invest to be like this insurance company down the street. 
Two, I don't have a, a team of actuaries and bond investors that are working full time to pick the right companies. Hmm. Three, I don't have the infinite time horizon that the insurance company has. I am a mere mortal. Last time yeah. I checked. And <laughs> I hope to stay that way. But the insurance company has an infinite time horizon and they're just letting these bonds just kind of like a conveyor belt, come on, come off, come on, come off. And every month they're making more purchases to the tune of you know tens of millions a week uh, per month, getting into the bond market at today's more you know luscious interest rates. So they have scale efficiencies and and all kinds of other things working in their favor too. We never an insurance company never has to sell to buy groceries or to spend time with their grandkids. It's just it's a big conglomerate that has been working, and this is why insurance companies have paid a dividend. The ones that I recommend have paid dividends for over a century without fail, like consecutive dividends for over 100 years. So let's talk about, you know, it's not just the investment portfolio that's affected by inflation. It's also, you know, the insurance that you've bought. So if, if somebody bought a, you know, $500,000 life insurance policy 20 years ago, like a term policy, and they've been paying on that, well, that half a million dollars was worth a lot more when they bought it than it is today. And so the inflation also erodes the benefit of what that policy is going to pay out. How does that impact what we're talking about here with these bank on yourself style policies? Well, so you're right. The death benefit of a level term insurance policy gets less. I mean, you can lose half the value in 30 years of a death benefit on a term policy. What happens to your premium as you get older with term insurance? Oh, stay yeah. the same. Well, over a certain period of time, maybe, yes, for 10 oh, years, whatever. Yeah, but once you get to the end, it changes. Yeah. That term insurance gets more expensive. Yeah, the landlord yeah. is going to raise the rent on us as we get older with term insurance. So we're paying more for a less valuable asset. Sounds a lot like uh, renting to me. And we're building no equity. So there's nothing to compound except our own losses, which is not a fun feeling to compound losses. Contrast that with whole life insurance which has a level premium. But if we design it the bank on yourself way, it has an increasing death benefit. So right. the death benefit is getting more valuable, but the premium never gets higher. In fact, it's contractually guaranteed to not go up. Now think of how powerful that is in a world where everything else is getting more expensive. Tell me anything else in your financial life that has for the rest of your lifetime is contractually guaranteed not to get more expensive. Can I get that with my gallon of milk? No. What about a gallon of gas? No. Mm -hmm. But I've got a lifetime contract that my price will not get more expensive as I age. That's pretty remarkable. The death benefit and the cash value are getting more valuable as time goes on. So they are going up and to the right, again, on a contractual basis with the cash value. And if there are dividends, which again, they've not failed to pay a dividend in over 100 years, then they'll throw those on top accelerating the growth. Now, fascinating to me is what's happening right now. Because as interest rates rise, man, I got a smile on my face. Because this means more profits to the insurance company. And oh yeah, who owns that insurance company? You and I do, the owners of the policies. Right. Because we're, we're going to, as the bond portfolio changes over and they start investing in higher interest yielding bonds, that's going to mean even more growth in that general fund down the road, which means that they can distribute even more money. And, and one of the cool features, like, so the first policy like this that I bought is, is central to my own retirement plan. And, and what 
I liked about it is that once the dividend is issued and the cash value in your policy goes up, it can't ever go down. It's very um, observant. Yeah, it's, it's it's locked in, and so the it, I've just you know you described in the beginning someone talking on the phone where you know oh we've lost some of your money because the market prices have gone down. Um, it, it always seems like when the market is in turmoil, that's when some other crisis happens and you need money. And 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 where you enter and where you exit in a, in an investment that is going to change. It doesn't matter if the average yield of the stock market was a certain percent over the course of decades. It's where you went in and you went out. And if and you don't necessarily control those points. Yeah. It, all these other factors are controlling what the market values are. Would you be willing to let me share my screen for a minute? Um, I don't I, I don't think I can on StreamYard. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I I seem to... There's a button here that says maybe I can, but I don't want to mess oh. things up if... Uh, all right, throw I, it up. I'm see, able we'll to. See what happens. All right, if I break the internet, it's my fault. Uh, so, all right, what are you seeing on on the screen right now? Um. Oh, there it is, right there. Okay. okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. So, I didn't know I could do that. Look at that. Hey, you know, you know, that's awesome. And we even got the URL right there at the bottom. So don't forget to go to newbankingsolution.com if you want to reach out to to one of us and have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, and, but and, and just I saw some there's some questions popping up that we're going to look at in a bit. But uh, these things, this is available for people in Canada and the U.S. Are there any other countries where this type of of, of thing is available, Mark? Um, it's very rare outside of those two countries, to be quite okay. candid with you. There might be something in the UK, um, and that's where insurance really got its start in the modern form of it, by the way. But it's uh, it's very prevalent in the United States and Canada. And by the way, you don't have to be um, permanently living in those two countries if you have a business in one of those two countries, or if you uh, have other reasons for visiting the United States or Canada, you may be able to get one of these policies. So reach out to a professional, you know, like myself or a bank on yourself professional, and we can answer particulars for you. Awesome. So what are you showing us here? Well, this is actually a very fascinating chart. And someone pointed this out to me, a colleague of mine, um, and he refers to the very special period of time in the late, uh, the early 1980s to the late 1990s as the roaring 20. And we can see why, right? There's uh, there's really not a lot of wild swings of the stock market. If you if you look in comparison to what it's doing during that period from 1980 to 2000, hmm. even the Great Depression looks like a speed bump, and that's about it. But look at the roar, uh, the the acceleration of the stock market, and why is that? Some people might say it was the computer age. Other people might point to the baby boomers coming of age. Other people might refer to the 401k starting in 1981. And we all were forced to become a nation of investors and speculators. But it has not really performed like that in ever since, right? That, that yeah. period of time is the only period in the modern era where we actually did get about 12% on average every year in the stock market. So, uh, and what was happening? Well, in part, uh, we were, again, we were faced with some interesting uh, bubbles, right? We had the tech bubble. We had the Greenspan era. Remember back to slap bracelets and Forrest Gump and uh, Ninja Turtles? This is the time when the Greenspan Fed came in and lowered interest rates to the point of inflation, right? So since the late 90s and early 2000s, we've been living in a very uh, sedated, some might say intoxicated economy. Uh, and so we've moved now from 
1980 to 2000. Now we're in 2000 to 220. And this is what I jokingly refer to as the boring 20. Boring because there were whole decades or a dozen mm -hmm. years where we just lost any kind of growth. Uh, so, you know, what's the point of putting your money into a stock market where you're going to have death defying market downturns and freewheeling market upswings? I mean, there's 2008, there's 2009. You can see the, the roller coaster, but notice where the stock market started in 2001 and where it stopped in 20 end of 2012, it was almost identical. So yeah. we lost a dozen years of our lifetime. Now, again, if you're a, if you're, um, you know, sort of keeping up with all this, this is not news to you, but the average return of the stock market during that period of time, surprisingly, according to third-party research like Dalbar, was only 2.29%. If you had a blend of stocks and bonds, which most people have in their 401ks and IRAs, you had a measly 2.29%. That is unacceptable for all the drama that we went through in 2000 to 2020. Now, the real question for most people when they meet with me is, what's going to happen next from 2020 to 2040? Are we entering a new downturn? Is this a short blip? Are we in a current like mini recession that we're going to get out of quickly? Or is this going to be a new phase of market downturns? We're seeing economists say it might be 10 years of negative market returns or flat returns, according to uh, some recent economists. And the, the, there's a lot of reasons for this. You know, there's things like China, there's things like um, the baby boomers are now retiring. So they're sucking money out of the stock market rather than pumping it into the market like they did when they were younger. And now we've got rising interest rates to try to keep up with all this inflation that we're experiencing. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons to, to possibly, um, yeah, be concerned about where markets are headed. And my hope is, my, my, um, my hope is that folks have something besides the stock market or bond market to park some of their cash that maybe even benefits from higher inflation. Well, my first experience with those big roller coasters uh, was thankfully not with my own money. Um, I was working in an office and one of my coworkers, a lady, uh, her and her husband had invested heavily in, in a company. Maybe you've heard of this company, uh, Nortel Networks. Do you remember mm, that? Yeah. And they did very well with Nortel. Um, in fact, they accelerated the retirement plans by like 10 years. Uh, and then all of a sudden they had to change their retirement plans again and not retire because of course it, it fell off the cliff and it, it made an impression on me. And I was like, wow, like, you know, and so then my, my next uh, move as I, we got into my twenties was to get into real estate. So I started to buy uh, apartment buildings and things. And, you know, I would, I thought that I was getting a great rate of return because I was doing a lot of the work myself. I was mowing the lawns. I was doing the handyman stuff. I was doing the fix ups. It was only when I had kids and I had to pull back from that and start paying other people to do those things that I just, I realized, oh my God, these great returns that I thought I was earning was actually just offsetting the wages of people doing work, you know, that, that I was doing. Right. And I realized this isn't the key to this either. And then fast forward to my forties, um, you know, and I bought one of my, my first policy, I bought it three years ago. And the question that I had for myself was, was simply 20 years from now, I'm going to be 65. I'm going to want to retire. I, I can't be gambling. I, I need to know what is going to happen. And that, that was one of the things that, that principally drew me 
towards towards this kind of solution. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you and and to bring it right back to what you had brought up originally was, you've got a you've got a every year when you get last year's dividend. Unlike the stock market, which can drop as well as rise, as well as drop again, you've got a dividend that's now locked in, and it becomes once you receive a dividend, it becomes part of your minimum guaranteed cash value for the rest of your life, and that has an accelerating effect. The way I like to talk about it is it's true compounding. Mm. Unlike a a beta-focused volatile stock market, which can give you great feelings today and then take them away and then some tomorrow, that's not compounding. Well, you cannot compound something that loses money. It's impossible mathematically to compound when you lose money. You're just you're just owning an asset that fluctuates with market forces. Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with. I mean, believe me, I've got money in the markets. See, I think folks need to have something in the in in all different asset classes. But if you want true compounding, uh, it's it's like a tree. That um, I've been tr- thinking about this, and please forgive me if this is a rough metaphor. But I want you to imagine an oak tree that's increasing in value, uh, and just like. Uh, a tree gets bigger. You see the rings growing on the tree as it as it gets bigger, but it's not just the increase of the original tree because any good healthy tree is also sprouting acorns, and those acorns then drop to the ground and create what? Create more trees, right? Yeah. If I had that sort of thing, let's say I invested in antique cars, my cars would have to multiply. You know, they couldn't just get more valuable as they aged. I'd need more cars. And that's what happens when you design a bank on yourself policy using something known as a paid up additions writer. Now, you know, we can go deeper down this road if you want to, or we can avoid it completely if you want to, David. But true compounding comes when you multiply the entities. It's like little rabbits, right? You want as many additions to this policy, paid up additions on this policy as possible, which is how these policies can be truly compounding in an exponential way. And I mean that in the mathematical sense of the word. And so we don't have to go down that, that rabbit hole, but, but this leads back to one of the initial comments that it's not just a whole life insurance policy. It has to be designed to meet certain criteria. Mm-hmm. And having gone through the process myself, I know that the options of all these different riders and add-ons and you know things that can be bolted onto the policy is huge. It, and it, these features are there to address whatever the need of the client is. And you you had to learn what to do in order to maximize this cash growth feature, which is what we're trying to do with these bank on yourself policies. So the, the paid up additions just allows you to increase the amount of cash in there without increasing the amount of insurance. That's right. right. Yeah. It's um, to use one more metaphor and I'll keep this as brief as I can. Let's say that you bought a 1600 square foot house and you have a mortgage on that original house size, right? So your mortgage, let's say is a thousand bucks a month and you're paying on that mortgage. You're only going to have a little bit of equity for the first five, 10 years, just a little bit of equity as, as the house appreciates. And as you slowly pay down your mortgage, it'll increase your equity a little bit. But then let's say you have some extra money laying around. And so you decide one summer to add an addition onto your house and you use cash to build the extra bedroom. So you have a paid up addition on your house. Mm-hmm. So now your house is not 1,600 square foot, it's 2,000 square foot. And then next year you make it 3,000 square foot and then 6,000 square foot and then 15,000 square foot. Over time, not only do you have more equity built, 
But remember, the house value is hopefully appreciating in your neighborhood. Call it 4%, whatever you want to call it, three, two, five, whatever. And also, you only have a mortgage payment on the original 1,600 square foot property. Yep. So that price of the value of the home is going up, but the cost stays the same. And that's how it works with these policies if we design them with that particular writer. But uh, again, as the dividends are applied, they're not just applied to the original policy. They're applied to the entire thing. Your dividends are accelerating. And so when in a world where we have higher interest rates, I want as many additions on my house as possible to take it full advantage of the season we're getting ready to go into, however long it takes. Now, yeah. let me be clear. These policies are not like um, interest rate sensitive in the way that um, maybe some uh, credit cards might be or car loans might be. You're not going to see dividends shoot up next Tuesday if the Fed meets again, whatever. It's going to be over the course of the next year or two when you really start to see the value here. So if you believe like many people do, that inflation is not, quote, transitory, but it's going to be around a little while, then, yeah, now may be a perfect time to, to look into this option. We've got a bunch of live viewers who will put some comments. Uh, you want to take a look at some of these? We've got some, some people it. that are checking in and saying, hello. Hey, Neville, how you doing? Um, what? Here's a question from Zambla. What percent dividend are you paying compared to the interest charge on personal loan uh, you take on your policy? So uh, uh, is this asking about a taking a policy loan out? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Personal yeah. loan that you take on the policy relative to the growth that you might receive. It's a smart question. Again, very observant question. And um, Zambla, what a cool name. So I'm going to try my best to answer this. Do you okay. want the, the one minute answer or the three minute answer or the 10 minute answer? What, what would you like there? Well, the, you know, here's, here's the, <laughs> here's the, the cool thing that I can contribute to this is that if you take a policy loan, cause you want to use the, some of the value of your policy while you're making a loan, the money that you put in continues to grow. Yeah. So that's the that's part right. I can add to this. Yep. But can you tell us about what dividend rates are typically and what these policy and what policy loan uh, costs are? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I can um, certainly go through that. Yeah. The insurance company itself. Um, let me say it this way. Dividend rates is different than the internal rate of return of your policy. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about dividend rates, sort of like the gross income of our business. But what do I care about the gross income? You know, I've, I've, I've met a lot of business owners that have a lot of top line revenue, but are losing money. So what's the important piece? It's not so much the dividend rate, Zambla. Uh, if I'm understanding your question, you probably want to know, hey, how much extra money did I get? Did I earn? What was my internal rate of return in my policy relative to how much I spent to borrow money to buy my car, for example? Is that a maybe a fair rephrasing I think, yeah, of okay. his question? All right. So um, why don't I do a quick explainer and I'll keep this one brief. Okay. But... Um, let's say you got 50,000 bucks in one of these policies. All right. And you want to buy a car that's 50,000 bucks. So you can borrow, let's say you have enough to borrow $50,000 from one of these policies and it's designed the correct way. I can't emphasize how important that is. If it's not designed properly, this whole thing falls apart. It's a lot like a sports car or a smartphone or an elevator. You don't want to get into an elevator if it's not properly designed. So if it's properly designed, the bank on yourself way, then when you borrow against it, the policy will continue to grow as if you had not touched the money. 
So in this case, we borrowed $50,000. We are in complete control of that process. We get the money without approval and we get it in our pockets in about a week or so. And then we're able to repay that loan on our own terms. We can take six months, six years, never pay off the loan. If we never pay off the loan, it's simply deducted from our death benefits when we pass away. So the insurance company knows we're good for it. That's why they don't require that we repay. This is the key to why there's never a need to qualify for credit because at the end of the day, they have to give this money out anyway. And so, so it's, it's wise for the insurance company to make the policy loan because it creates another avenue for, for a return for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, um, and I, I'm hesitating because I don't know if I should show this visually or if I should just go through it. Maybe I'll just go through it. And if folks want to go deeper, we can draw it or whatever. But okay, so we've got this loan for 50000 in our hands. We go buy the car. The car's in our possession now. We own it. It's all ours. Uh, we also have this loan against our policy. Let's say for just sake of example that we want to repay this loan over a four-year period. The four-year period of time is on our own terms. We get to decide that, which is so cool. Uh, all right, so the loan interest rate at this time is 5%, 5%, but it's simple interest. If you work with correct companies, they typically will charge a simple interest 5% all year long. Now, David, you're pretty good with math. Um, is simple interest worse or better than compound interest when we owe somebody money? Would you rather owe them compound interest or simple interest? Simple is easier. Yeah. yeah. So over this four-year period, the real interest that we would pay is 3820 bucks. Because every time we make a payment, the, the interest cost is reduced. That's right. We're paying our principal down all year long. They're accumulating interest, but they're not compounding it all year long. Right. So over a four-year period, just doing the math on it, it's about 3820 bucks to borrow this money. Now, some people will, like Dave Ramsey would say, you just paid interest on your own money. Why would you do that? Just pay cash for the car. Why do this silliness with life insurance? All right. Well, let's take a look. How did the policies growth do? These policies over time, again, over time, not in the first year or two, but over time, you're going to see these policies do somewhere between 4 and 6%. That's the historical mean for the last 60 years. So let's just round it to 5 So over that same four-year period, how much did your $50,000 accumulate to, compound to, over that same four-year period, it was twelve thousand one hundred bucks. That's how much interest accumulated on a guaranteed basis with dividends. On top because of that, compounded because it's right. Each level, then yeah, okay, yeah, true compounding, right? So we like compound interest when we're being paid interest. Uh, so we let's kind of summarize this, and I'll hush and hand it back to you. We earned twelve thousand one hundred bucks. That's way better than my savings account over a four-year period. We spent 3,800 bucks. So you can do the math there. That's about, what is that? Help me out. That's like 8,000 some odd dollars of $8,300 or so of, of arbitrage. We right. earned more than we spent. And so how is this, how is it possible? It's because of we're participating in all those other business activities the insurance company has. We're, we're benefiting from the term policies they're writing. We're benefiting from that bond portfolio that they built up over time with policy policyholder money we're benefiting from all those other things so yeah. it's 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 more than just looking at you know what is the rate of return on the money we're putting in we are part owners of this thing it's not unlike the original conversation you and i had to start that mortgage company 
Um, I didn't actually take my money out of my policy. I just used my policy as collateral. Uh, if anybody here watching has a HELOC on their home or a regular mortgage even, your home still grows whether you borrow against your home or not. The neighborhood doesn't care. Zillow doesn't care if you have a mortgage. The home is growing even on the capital you borrowed out of your house. The only difference with whole life insurance is the growth is guaranteed. Yeah. A house is not guaranteed. A mortgage company can rescind their HELOC from you, but you may not have your policy loan rights rescinded from you. They're contractually written into the contract. They are yours for life. So there's a, a, a categorical difference, although there's some similarities to how it works with bank loans, mortgages, HELOCs, that sort of thing. Um, so Zambla says, thank you. And uh, there's another follow-up question about MEC. You know what MEC stands for? This guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. If he's got vocabulary and acronyms, uh, you can tell he's one of the tribes. So yes, Zambla, the um, modified endowment contract. Can and Mark so elaborate? this relates to how much we can deposit into a policy. And this you know, having gone through this process, I know that if you want to stuff more cash in, it means you need a more robust insurance side. There's there's some kind of ratio between the two. And this has to do with government and tax law. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so thank you, government, for that. But uh, the the benefits still outweigh the, the drawbacks, even on MEC policies, MEC, MEC policies. Um, you know, in fact, I like to do a combination of for some people and and. Uh, without getting too into the weeds, we've done whole podcasts on how to blend a MEC policy and a non-MEC policy to benefit you. Uh, and so to where you don't even incur any taxes on a MEC policy if we do it properly. Uh, the bottom line is you want to sit down and talk to a professional who can do this right for you. Uh, we just helped a, a couple. They've got a couple of non-MEC policies. These are the tax-free, truly designed mm -hmm. with level recurring premiums. We set those up for them a few years ago, and they're consistently packing money into those policies. But they also just sold their house and walked away with 700000 bucks. Now, where are they going to put that? They can't squeeze it into their first policies, but they really wanted to use their policies to buy their next house. How could they do that? Well, what we did was we set up a single premium whole life insurance policy with a premium of 700000 bucks, And they dumped that money into their single premium policy. And they've got about $680,000 in liquid money within 30 days uh, that then they can borrow against to go buy their next house. And then now what they've done is they've become their own mortgage company to themselves. They're repaying right. that mortgage to themselves. And they also have a uh, parking space for their lump sum. And they have a big death benefit for their family. And they've got their original life insurance policies that are still doing their thing to help out with the furniture costs or the repair costs of that new house that they just bought. So from what I understand, uh, a MEC policy, uh, modified endowment contract, did I get that right? Mm -hmm. the, the danger is, is when you set up an insurance contract thinking you're not an, a MEC and then later you find out you are because then, then your plan falls apart. So the, the key is to work with someone qualified to make sure that the policy that gets created is created correctly. That's right. Yeah. Um, and not to put too fine a point on it, but I've seen even family members who thought they had one of these policies, these bank on yourself. They're like, oh yeah, Mark, I got one of those. I looked at it. It's a mech. It's a tax mess. It's going to lapse on itself in the future, increasing costs. There's lots of things that can go sideways if you don't design it properly. Again, not 
uh, not to reemphasize this point, but the, you know, it's not unlike, you know, an elevator. If you don't have that elevator designed properly, you could be in a world of hurt just by pushing a few wrong buttons. But if it is designed properly by a competent professional, then mm. all you have to do is push a button and up you go, you know, you know, right where to head. Well, this, this is awesome. And, and, and for people that are truly curious and they want to know more, like I said at the beginning, um, if, you, if you head over to newbankingsolution.com, there's a one-hour video there embedded in that page that Mark and I uh, recorded. We called it Bank on Yourself 101. It kind of explains it from the beginning. But there's also a link there to a playlist I created for YouTube, which is all of my conversations with Mark. And so you can go and you can, you can see those conversations that we've had over the years. We've talked about a number of different things with respect to these bank on yourself policies. Um, and ultimately though, fill in your name and phone number and email and Mark or one of his associates will reach out in Canada or the US, um, will reach out and you can actually take a look and, and see what the numbers would be in your case, depending on what you're planning to do. And so this is for people who either personally have, you know, money available to invest it's for business owners who have money in their business that they use for business purposes. Um, so it's a better way to manage money because we can, we can grow those funds within one of these policies and then still have access to using the funds for whatever purposes we want. But it is based on insurance at the end of the day. And so that means that in order to open this door, certain minimum criteria have to be met. Can, you, can we talk to that a little bit about you know, in being insurable? Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right. This can be for a personal solution for your kid's college, as well as it could be a business solution. And I just want to take a quick second to talk that, that story really quick. There was a yeah. gentleman who had a million dollar line of credit with a bank, million dollar line of credit with the bank. He used it constantly for all of his operations and his sales guys and all this travel and all this. So that was how he his lifeblood was this line of credit with the bank. Well, like you've said, in a world where there's a crisis in the global economy, typically banks love to stop lending you money right when you need it the most. And that's exactly what happened to this poor business owner. He got the call saying, hey, we're exiting your business. Bankers said, we're exiting your business. Pay up. Give us your million dollars that you owe us. And mm -hmm. he had to do that in five years. He had a five-year term to get out of that business line of credit of a million dollars that he didn't have. So over time, he said, well, first of all, he said, I'm firing these bozos. I'd never want to darken the door of a bank ever again. And he began to set up his own line of credit with himself through his life insurance policy, properly yeah. designed. And he did. He built up the line of credit to a million dollars in his policy over five years. And he began to now, and he still does, borrow from this policy to operate his business. He's never had to rely on a banker ever again, ever since. Uh, so that's how this can work, both on a large scale or a very small scale, take some zeros off, add some zeros on. Uh, now to your point about um, being approved. Yes, somebody has to be approved health-wise for these policies. You don't have to be in your 20s or even 50s to, to be considered young. I've helped folks in their 70s get these policies started. Uh, and even uh, I believe it's up to age 85 that you can be approved for these policies. If you're not in great health, uh, we work constantly to help find solutions, even if you've got a few marks against your health records, let's say. But you might be the owner of the policy and uh, not be the insured. Another quick story, gentleman who had just had open heart surgery when I met him was totally uninsurable for that reason, obviously. Uh, no insurance company would look at him. 
but he loved the concept and he was a grandpa and married. So what he did was he opened a policy on his wife, his adult children, all of his grandkids. He's the owner of the policies. He owns 12 of them. He pumps money into them. He can control them. He can spend the money with them. It's his money, but he hopes to give them to his kids and grandkids someday. And ultimately that's their inheritance. Even though he could not insure himself, he's the owner of those policies and can do really anything he wants to make sure that that um, family's legacy gets, uh, gets maintained. Yeah. And, and, you know, because I work so much in the world of people who are doing business deals, who are looking at, you know, buying a business one day or something like this. Uh, I can also say that if you're younger and you're in good health and you don't necessarily have a lot of money available for one of these things, you can still uh, put a doorstop in that door through getting a, a term policy from one of the life insurances and companies that will allow you to convert. And that's what I did. So the, the first policy that I bought was based on converting an older term policy that I had. I was able to make that conversion. But because my term policy was an old fashioned one, I wasn't able to get the paid up additions rider on that conversion. For my next policy, I wanted to add that paid up additions, but in 2020, I was ill. Um, I ended up having surgery, something the went to the lab and it turned out that there was cancer. And so I'm, I'm healthy. I'm fine. Everything's okay. But it took two years of me to get, uh, you know, a, a bill of clean health from the doctors in order for the insurance company to even consider issuing a policy. And then I had to pay a, a sort of a risk premium for several months, which is just ending now. And then I will have this new term policy that I can convert into a policy that includes paid up additions. So mm -hmm. if you're in good health, especially if you're young, you, you want to start down the path of, of organizing this, even if you don't have the resources available that you think you will one day that you want to put in this, you can create, like I said, a doorstop that will, that will allow you to get through that door later on. I love that. I love that. Uh, and it brings a lot of hope to, I think, a lot of people. Uh, and there's so many creative ways to do this. You know, I've always said, you know, if you believe there's a way, there's probably a way. You know, you can talk to your, if let's say you're a young person with not a lot of cash, but you've got an older business partner that does have some cash. You can set up an executive bonus arrangement where the uh, business will pay for this for you and even pay you a bonus uh, to pay for the taxes that might be due on the thing. And it's a deduction to your business when you do it that way. That's built right into the tax code, section 162A. So there's lots of ways to do this, lots of creative ways, but you need to work with a professional who's willing to think outside the box. And it's not just going to sell you a policy or sell you worse, a mutual fund uh, that you know could be, you know well, the policy is designed improperly or put you back right back into a variable type arrangement where you might lose money due to the market. So it yeah. really does come down to, yeah, having someone being willing to listen uh, to your situation, what you're trying to do. Yeah. So uh, we're going to, we're going to wrap things up. I mean, if, if people want to have that conversation with you or one of your colleagues, the place to go is to newbankingsolution.com. Fill in the form, uh, just name, email address, phone number, and, and where you live. And, um, and Mark or one of his team will, will reach back out, whether in Canada or the U.S., and um, and actually run the numbers for for you and, and show you what it might look like uh, and answer any of the specifics that you have. And like you mentioned, every person's position is unique. And so that's why this is all based around this is you can't just go to a website and just sign up. 
and get and get you know and, and put your credit card number in. You need to work with a properly trained professional who can design this to actually satisfy the particular needs that you have. That's right. Yeah, you you don't want to doctor Google this. Uh, it's uh, it's something that really takes some nuanced conversation. And thank goodness, you know, I don't uh, I, I don't expect folks will will just be jumping on to, I guess, the latest YouTube channel to figure out how to do this themselves. Uh, so yes, please, uh, happy to chat. We don't charge a fee to just listen and understand what you're trying to do. If at the end of the day, we're not a, um, a good fit, we'll let you know. And uh, we do serve as fiduciary for our clients. So if it's not a good fit to do this tool, we'll be upfront with you about that as well. Uh, and you know, it's an honor to get to work with you. David, I, I just imagine a world where even just 10% of business owners what if just 10% of business owners had something like this, a substantial line of credit like this from one of their policies that they could use for anything their business needed? Just imagine what would change in the, the banking sector. How much, how much more would businesses survive tough times? I mean, these things just sort of give me the goosebumps. Well, when you and I were talking the other day, I mentioned the story of my own insurance agent uh, when, the, when all the lockdowns hit and some business people were, were panicking. You know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get money? Uh, he told me that he was able to help many of his clients. Uh, he handed out almost $2 million to people. Yeah, He got calls cool. from some people, though, who said, I heard you got this guy money. Can you get me money? And he had to tell them, no, you don't have the right kind of policy. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's not the boat you want to be in. But yeah, it, this is uh, another tool for business owners. It's a tool for people that um, want to have more control. Um, yeah. And if, I mean, if, you, if you watch my channel, then you're a person that wants to have control over your life. So glad to be on here. And I'm just trying to keep up with you, David. Thank you for this opportunity. Awesome. We'll see you later. And uh, of course, over the course of the next little while, you're going to hear mention of Mark uh, as a sponsor on the channel. And uh, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. All right. Well, we're going to wrap things up and uh, we'll see everyone next time. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos.